Father, we worship you. We love you. We praise your mighty name in this place. And it is with joy that we do this in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. And good morning, Loudonville. Great to see you on this Lord's Day. We welcome you to church today, especially if you're a guest for the first time. Thank you for coming to this place and orienting your heart today in worship before God's throne. We've changed the order of some things today because communion follows the message. And so let me invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Proverbs. Our topic today is anger. And we're using the book of Proverbs as our guide. Anger is such a powerful and often destructive emotion that it can cause harm not only to ourselves, but to those around us. The wisdom found in the book of Proverbs warns us about the peril of anger. For what is danger but anger with a D in front of it? Proverbs also offers invaluable insight to us on how to deal with anger in a constructive and healthy way. According to those who study human emotion, there are four primary emotions, sadness, fear, desire, and anger. And most people will be battling one of those four emotions, maybe one more than the others, for their entire life. But anger is one of those human emotions that almost everyone struggles with from time to time. A few years before his death, David Pallison wrote a book called Good and Angry. It's a helpful book. And chapter two is particularly provocative and convicting, the title of which asks this question, do you have a serious problem with anger? And the entire chapter consists of just one word, yes. Anger is a problem for us all, yes, to varying degrees. We may vent it fully, or we may blow off a little steam from time to time. We may repress it, we may disguise it, we may express it differently, but none of us are immune to the struggle of anger. Only a few pages into the Bible itself, we find the very first outburst of anger after God rejected Cain's sacrifice when he accepted Abel's, and God saw Cain's moody countenance and asked him, why are you so angry? And because Cain failed to tame his rage, it crested when he slaughtered his brother. Have you ever let someone just have it? Maybe not to the extent of Cain's anger, but maybe someone pushed your button and you just went off. The words flowed out of your mouth as if inspired. It might feel good to blow off some steam, but really few things can compare to the pain caused by unrestrained anger. Anger robs us of our joy. It ruptures our relationships. It quenches the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Proverbs 29 verse 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Sinful anger is dangerous because it's a prelude to far deeper trouble and many more problems. 
Will Rogers used to say, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. We just disrupt everything around us. And we often make excuses for it, but Proverbs really does help us to come to grips with destructive anger and what it really is all about. And so I'm going to give you four Proverbs that focus on the emotion of anger, and each one of them identifies the same identical strategy for managing it. That strategy will become quite apparent by its repetition, but let me direct your attention to one of the screens or in your Bibles, but I'm going to look at several verses all at once. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. And then Proverbs 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The phrase slow to anger occurs in all four of those Proverbs. When you are slow to anger, it says much about who you are and your competence. It means that you have the skill to diffuse contention. Proverbs tells us that you exceed the mighty, that you possess good judgment. You don't overreact. When wronged, you remain in control. To be slow to anger means you have discipline over your emotions so that you can think clearly. This phrase, slow to anger, occurs 10 other times in the Old Testament, and each time always as a reference to God himself. Let me just give you two of those occurrences in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6. Moses is in a cave on top of a mountain, and God reveals himself to him, and we are told the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the God, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then alluding to Psalm, or excuse me, alluding to Exodus 34, Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Again, that phrase, slow to anger, in the Hebrew, it is erikapayim, which when literally translated means long of nose. When God looks at you, his heart is filled with such love and faithfulness that, that he is always erikapayim, long of nose. To be long of nose means to be slow to anger, quick to forgive so that frustration and irritants and annoyance and anger are not God's default settings. Patience is. He is always slow to anger. It's such a great phrase, so that Exodus 34, verse 6 can literally be translated, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, long of nose and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. To be slow to anger, to have a long nose, is to be godlike, figuratively speaking. 
In Hebrew, the, the normal way of describing an angry person is to say that their nose burned out. It's usually translated in the Old Testament something like his or her anger burned. It's an allusion to how our body, but especially our face, overheats when we get angry. Since God is slow to anger, it takes a long time for his nose to turn red. And so the next time you feel your face turning a color crimson and your nose may be turning red, Remember that phrase, be long of nose. It may prevent you from doing something foolish. Proverbs 19, verse 11, one of the Proverbs we began with a moment ago can literally be, again, translated, a wise person's wisdom is their long nose. Someone who is in control of their passions then is, again, slow to anger. By contrast, Proverbs speaks of one who is quick-tempered, that is, short of spirit. And when you are short of spirit or fast to anger, you risk the greatest kind of folly. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, again says, He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You not only create folly, but you become its prey. Proverbs 27, verse 3 says, A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Proverbs 25, verse 23 says, The north wind blows or brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. So being on the receiving end of anger is like being manipulated by a fool, weighed down with a heavy sack of sand, and getting caught in a cold, driving, biting wind. Human anger never fixes what's broken. James, the half-brother of our Lord, whose letter reads like the New Testament book of Proverbs, says in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, in these very familiar words to us, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's such an important phrase. Human anger never produces rightness. You see something broken. You see something wrong. You see something that's messed up and you respond to it with what we would call destructive human anger. You make it worse. If you lose your temper because someone did wrong and you respond with, with lashing out, you don't fix what's broken. If you lash out at your kids because, well, they've acted like kids, if someone has blocked your goal or someone has prevented your agenda from being accomplished or completed and you go off, getting angry will not remedy that situation. It may make your family walk on eggshells. It may cause someone to avoid you but outbursts of anger only exacerbate the problem. So human anger never fixes what's broken, and it will prevent you from being the kind of person God wants you to be. For many of us, anger is a constant struggle, and so we tend to disguise it. I'm not angry, I'm just upset. I'm not angry, I'm stressed. I'm not angry, I'm just tired. As David Polison said, and people will push your buttons. 
but they're still your buttons. Be of long nose. Now let's talk about an important matter. Because implied in this phrase, slow to anger, is the acknowledgement that there is something that we can call righteous or good anger. God is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean he never shows anger. We understand that wrath is one of his holy attributes. And there are times when God is angry, but his anger is never out of control. It's a holy anger. It's a righteous anger. Evil in rebellion makes God angry. And anger is found expressed in each member of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, the word anger appears about 450 times. And 375 of those times, it refers to the anger of God. At the right time and in the right way, When we come to our New Testaments, we also see Jesus got angry. He once entered a synagogue and there encountered a man with a withered hand. And some of the Pharisees who were present and had formed something of a watchdog group to see if Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath, Jesus took this man, had him stand up in the presence of everyone so that they could see him. And then he asked, Jesus asked the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill. And because they were cowards and they were setting Jesus up at that moment, Jesus took advantage of that moment and were told that they remained silent and he looked at them with anger. And deeply distressed, Mark tells us, and with at their stubborn hearts, Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out and it was completely restored. There is a kind of anger that is not sin. Righteous anger is responding to evil, to wrong, to injustice, the way God would respond to it. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry. And that's a command, it's an imperative. And do not sin, and do not let, though, the sun go down on your anger. Anger can be an absolute holy response to sin. So when you hear of a senior citizen being scammed or a child being mistreated or someone, the victim of racial discrimination, we should be angry. Anger can be an objective emotion that God feels and he has also put his DNA in us in order that we too might feel angered by wrong and evil and unrighteousness. So righteous anger is always an accurate appraisal of evil and a holy response that is targeted to the proportion of the offense. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, a failure to react with indignation and anger against sin and evil is always a sign of moral decadence and godlessness and irreligion. When Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem of merchants who were inflating their prices and exploiting people as they came to worship at the temple, he was indignant and we're told that his nose burned red hot. 
And he was determined to do something decisive about it and read the account in Mark chapter 11. This would be the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. Mark 11 is fascinating, though, because it's on Palm Sunday. He rides into the city of Jerusalem on that donkey on Sunday, and he sees the religious circus, and he sees the corruption all around him. But it wasn't until he returned the next day, that's Monday, and he entered the temple after having thought about it all night long that he began driving driving out those who were buying and selling. He was in absolute control of his anger and he expressed it in the right way at exactly the right moment. There are times when we should be angry. Henry Ward Beecher once said, a man that does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. A man that does not know how to be shaken to his heart's core with indignation over things evil is either a fungus or a wicked man. Thomas Watson, a 17th century English Puritan, said that anger is without sin that is against sin. Somebody might say, well, Jesus lost his temper, and so do I at times. No, Jesus never lost his temper. He was angry, but his anger did not control him. He controlled his anger at all times so that it would be an accurate appraisal of what is evil and target it at that which is in proportion to the wrong. God's anger is an expression of his goodness. Too often our anger, when we show it, when we reveal it, when we display it, it's, a, it's an expression of our selfishness. So here's an important question for us this morning. When you are angry, can you say that it is a holy emotion based on an accurate appraisal of evil? Again, is your anger targeted against something that is truly wrong? And hear me, raise voices, slamming doors, profane words flying all over the place, they are not expressions of righteous anger. We get angry, don't we? And we get angry too fast. Proverbs 15 verse 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A quick-tempered reaction often comes from something that is just beneath the surface of our lives. Someone offends us. And, and the offense and this case may even be minor, but it triggers something that is beneath the surface of your life and you just explode. When we are fast to anger, we need to check under the hood because something is off. We get angry at the wrong things. It's right to get angry. But never underestimate your capacity to spiritualize your anger. There was a season of my life when, when I did not manage my anger very well. I just didn't have a bad day. It was a bad stretch. I was being falsely maligned by some. But I began to treat every kind of disagreement as, as a holy cause that I needed to fight. 
and it caused my reactions to be overheated. And I discovered that anger will almost always feel right when I have been wronged. Check yourself. You'll feel the same way too, but righteous anger is usually, not always, but it is usually other-centered. It's not wrong to stick up for yourself. And it's not wrong to be angry when you're falsely accused. But watch yourself. Let it not define all of your emotion and all of your reaction because sometimes not only do we get angry too fast and angry at the wrong things, we also get angry for the wrong reason. When someone is really angry, and sometimes I may be the recipient of some of that anger, I will sometimes ask the question, why? Why do you feel so strongly about this? Why does this make you so angry? Why does this mean so much to you? And it's a revealing question because behind that question is the fact that anger is typically a secondary emotion. We, we have this need to look successful. We want to appear smart. We, we, we need the approval of others. We want to appear as if we are in control. And when someone gets in our way or blocks our goals or prevents us from doing something that we want to be able to do, we get angry. But when you get angry, what I want to encourage you to do is look at the thing behind the thing. If anger is a secondary emotion triggered by something else, and it brings up something out of you, what is it? Check under the hood. Look for the thing behind the thing because at stake in all of this is always the person that you're becoming. What you do when someone offends you when you're 22 will define who you are when you're 32. And what you do when you are portrayed at 42 will determine the kind of person you are when you're 52. And we wonder why sometimes we may age and sour as we age, get more grumpy as we age. It's because sometimes we've allowed these things to fester and therefore define us. And so for some of us, sometimes anger and resentment builds over time. And unless we deal with it immediately, it takes hold. Don't let this define you. Few things will define you the way that untamed anger will define you. And angry people are just plain difficult to live with. Jonathan Edwards had a daughter with an uncontrollable temper and a, a young man fell in love with his daughter and asked uh, Edwards if he could marry her. And Edwards said, you can't have her. But I love her, the young man said, and Edwards was adamant and said, but still you can't have her. But she loves me too, the young man said. Still you can't have her. Why? Why can't I marry her? Because she's not worthy of you, Edwards said of his own daughter. He said, but she's a Christian, isn't she? And Edwards said, yes, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else can ever live. Sometimes it's just plain difficult to live with an angry person. Don't let this define you. Be slow to anger. Don't be a hothead. Don't be quick-tempered. Be like Christ.
Earlier, I quoted Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. And in that passage, the apostle Paul was actually quoting the fourth psalm. And in Psalm 4, 4, the psalmist says, be angry and do not sin. But then adds, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. There will be times when what someone does to you or says to you will trigger you. It will awaken that which is just underneath. And at that moment, the psalmist is, is advising us to do this. It will be wise for you just to lie down on your bed and think. Determine if your anger is unhealthy or holy. And if it is not an accurate appraisal of evil or of wrong or injustice, don't vent it, confess it. Take it to the Lord. Let him deal with it in your own life. The worst thing to do is to respond with anger, especially to someone else who is angry. You've seen it. We get angry and they get angrier and it just escalates and it's a mess. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, what? Stirs up anger. However, if your anger is righteous, then think about what you're going to say. Ponder it. Think it over. Think about what you're going to say or do before you say it or do it. Do not let unrighteous anger controlled by selfish resentment control you. But the loving intent to fix what is broken when we are angry with a righteous cause, it's because we are committed to reshaping things, to being a participant in God's will in this world, to make things the way he meant them to be, to bring them back to a place of order or shalom or peace. So when angry, be slow to speak. Take time to evaluate all the facts. Do what the psalmist says, ponder this on your own bed and be silent. Again, Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. Is there an area of life that we haven't found in Proverbs that doesn't speak directly to us? If we lived according to this book, if we followed the principles that are outlined in these Proverbs for how to do life, how things would be so different. And even in regards to anger, this book says, get wisdom. And this is wisdom. Be a person who is slow to anger. Be someone of a long nose. And friends, if you, if you know the saving presence of Jesus, if you know he died for you, if, he, if you know that he rose again to give you life, if you know that he has given the gift of the Holy Spirit to you, then you know this. You know that you have been given the ability to do things that you could never pull off on your own. And by his power, you can release anger, you can let go of resentment, you can let go of the grudge that you're holding so that the ultimate reason that you can do any of that and all of that is because of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Because God is slow to anger, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance.
the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, long of nose and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who he is. And that's who he calls us to be. Let's pray. And our holy God. When you choose to reveal who you are, your essence, your character, you tell us that you are a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and that you are slow to anger. And while the Bible is full of expressions of your anger towards sin, how good it is for us to be reminded that you're slow even to respond to it because you want to give time for repentance and for change. Your slowness, Father, is such an amazing expression of your patience with us. And thank you, Father, that your patience did not run out. But in your loving patience, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, who on the cross bore all of the evil and rebellion of this world and even of our own lives upon himself, that Jesus Christ in his body bore our sins on that tree. And in an amazing act of grace and forgiveness covers all of our unrighteousness. What then is our response but not only to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and forgive me and transform me and, and change me. Now empower me and enable me to live like you live. To also be slow to anger and quick to forgive. Letting go of resentment. Letting go of unrighteous anger. And embracing your character, your spirit, in your heart. Father, in just a moment, we're going to have the privilege of, of observing communion. And it's there that we reflect upon the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's, it's a holy, sacred moment for us. For we want to be able to contemplate fully all that Christ did for us so that seeing him and believing upon him, it continues to transform us. So thank you for this moment. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your patience with us. And now, Father, make us continually according to the image of your Son. May who he is be imprinted upon us so that in those moments when we, we display righteous anger as he did to that which is wrong, would you be glorified? And when those moments when we feel as if our face is getting flushed, would you cause us like Christ to be in control? Thank you for the gift of your spirit.
who helps us in every way to do that. Father, we love you. We praise you. Take all that we are and use it for your purpose, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the It's treasure store.
participate in communion together. We all know that communion is a service, an ordinance that Jesus himself gave to us. He gave it for his glory. He gave it for our good. Scripture teaches that as often as we celebrate Christ in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, that we are to do it in remembrance of him. So we see the communion Communion is an invitation to look back. Sometimes it's not helpful to look back. Sometimes it's actually unhealthy to remain attached to some past experience. It limits our capacity to experience new things, better things, healthier things. Sometimes looking back actually distorts our vision, keeps us from being able to embrace the future, limits your capacity to experience new life. Sometimes it would be good for us to forget the past, to let it go. Stop bringing it up. Stop reliving it. The past can be a prison that we need to break free from, but none of that applies to communion. Communion, it is healthy and helpful to look back at what Jesus instituted on that night that he was betrayed. It's healthy and helpful to remain attached to that event that happened so long ago to carry it forward into our daily life. We want to relive that over and over again. When we look back at the significance of communion, when we consider the sacrifice of Jesus, the suffering on the cross, and the salvation that Jesus purchased for us, we see clearer, better, more accurately. We have a greater capacity to experience new life in Christ We have a settled assurance of God's forgiveness. We can have hope for the future by looking back and by remembering Jesus Christ, our Lord. Looking back at Jesus and the love he demonstrated when he gave his life for us, that's where we find freedom from sin's guilt. Because he offered his body and his blood, we have been set free from the prison of sin and a self-centered existence. Only in Christ are we free to walk in newness of life, to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. Communion helps us to never forget. Communion helps us to look back at Christ and the cross on a regular basis. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to remember our Lord. We're going to remember that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And our response to that is to worship him. We remember that he left the glory of heaven and he came to us in the deepest humility. He sought us out because he loved us, but humanity hid from him because of sin and shame. We want to remember that he loved us then and he loves us now with a complete and a perfect love. And we have to recognize that we are just now slowly and imperfectly learning to love him and to love one another. 
we remember that Jesus never sinned or rebelled against God as Father. And we have to recognize that by nature we are actually born rebellious sinners. He alone lived a pure and a sinless life. And when we receive the bread and the juice, we remember that he offered that perfect life as a perfect sacrifice for you and me. We remember that his body was beaten, bruised, and broken so that we could know the blessing of forgiveness. We remember that it is by his blood that flowed from his wounds that we are declared righteous, that we are washed, we are redeemed. Jesus took upon himself our brokenness, our impurity, our punishment, so that by, by faith in Christ, we take on his wholeness, his right standing with God, his divine nature, and his promise of eternal life. There is a mystery and a majesty to communion. Before we take the elements, I want to offer us a moment of silence to remember Christ, to repent of our sins, to reflect on the mystery of his grace, and rejoice in the majesty of Christ our Savior. We're going to take that moment now. I would invite you now, if you have not already done so, to take the elements and open the seal and get that wafer out. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we remember you. We thank you for that body broken for us. Let us partake. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we remember your blood shed for us, and we will always proclaim your gospel until you return in your glory. Let us drink. Father God, we want to receive by faith all that Jesus Christ has done for us and accomplished on the cross through his body and through his blood. We rejoice that we who were once dead in sins and trespasses have been made alive in Christ. We once walked in darkness, but now we walk in the glorious light of your kingdom. 
We once did not know you, had no connection or fellowship with you, but now we believe in you, we belong to you, and we delight in you. So Father, we thank you for giving yourself to us, and we give ourselves to you. So fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love for the world. Fill us with your wisdom that we would be the church that you have called us to be. Use us to spread your glory and your gospel here and around the world. In Christ's name, amen. And let us continue to worship him.